0: Good morning. It is a joy to worship with you this morning. My name is Saj Rohana, and I'm a pastoral assistant here as well as a member at City Bible Church. I'm not a great swimmer, but I know how to swim. Now, in my mind, I think that I swim like Michael Phelps, just very smooth and gliding through the water, but really it's more like splashing with a little bit of forward movement. It's probably because of the way I learned how to swim, When I was a kid, my parents would take me and my little sister to the pool and I had those floaties that you'd wear on your arms, the orange ones where you kind of bob in the water like this. And that's how I swam. I depended on the floaties to swim. Well, one day I needed to use the restroom, so I took the floaties off I used the restroom. When I came back, I was so excited, I just jumped right in the water. And I think it took me about 10 seconds before I realized I didn't have the floaties on. And that's when I panicked. And I cried out to my mom and my dad, help, I'm drowning! My dad was very calm, and he said, just kick with your feet and paddle with your hands. And I started to, and I swam. I I didn't need the floaties anymore. So I learned how to swim by almost drowning. That's probably why it still looks like I'm drowning when I swim today. (laughs) Today, our psalm starts with someone who is found in deep waters. And while I wasn't actually drowning, it felt like I was. And I cried out to the people that I knew could help me. And today, the psalmist is in spiritual danger. And he calls out to the person that he knows can help him. The one who can save him from his sin. Let's pray and we can get into the psalm. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for allowing us to examine it, and for your Spirit, who searches our hearts and makes your word come alive to us. We pray today that we would submit ourselves to your word, and that we would learn to trust in Jesus for all of our needs. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Before we start from verse 1, we're going to start with verse 7. Because I think in verse 7, the psalmist tells us what the main point of the psalm is. He says, Israel, put your hope in Yahweh. That's the point of the psalm. And I'm going to show you through the sermon how that is. But the main point is that we should put our hope in God. And specifically in Christ. Because Christ is the one who redeems us from our sins. Now, a couple notes before we jump in. When it says, Israel... It's not talking about the country to our south, but rather ancient Israel. We could also call them the people of God, those who trust in him. And when it says, Lord, with all capital letters, capital O, capital uh, R-D after the L, that is the personal name Yahweh. So if you hear me saying that, that's why I'm saying that. I'm not just a weirdo. Maybe I am. Um, but that, that's why I say that. But, but the, the point is, the main point of the sermon is to put your hope in Christ who has redeemed us from our sins. Now let's look at verses 1 and 2. Out of the depths I call to you, Yahweh. Lord, listen to my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for help. Have you ever felt this way? Have you ever prayed this way? God, I need you. I'm stuck. Help me. Hear me. This is language that is common for the people of God. All throughout the Bible, we see the people of God calling out to him as a way to be saved from whatever is troubling them. And it's even what God desires. In Psalm 50, verse 15, he tells his people, Call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you, and you shall glorify me. That is God's desire, is that his people would call out to him. And that is what we must do if we worship the one true God. We call out to him. And now again, the image here is the depths is like deep water. It's deep water that uh, you would drown in, that you would sink if you didn't have a flotation device. And there is a desperation in the psalmist that we see. He is stuck in deep waters, and he needs help. But the question is, what is causing him so much despair? Why is he found in the depths of... Of the waters well for that we need to look at verses three and four verse three says yahweh if you kept an account of iniquities lord who could stand first let's define the word iniquity it's like sin and in the sermon i'm going to use it interchangeably with sin but it has its own meaning iniquity has to do with a crookedness rather than something being straight it's crooked Rather than it being the right way, it's the wrong way. And so something that has iniquity is something that is just, it's wrong. And so what he's saying here, and again, I'm going to use sin interchangeably with this, if God kept a record of our sins, if he kept written down every sin we ever did or every account of the iniquity we did, no one would be able to stand before God. No one could stand before God and say, I am righteous because he has an account of all of our iniquity. Romans 3.23 agrees in this when it says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Every single person. Now, many people think that God takes the good that we do and the bad that we do, and he weighs them so that we might know, are we more good than bad? But that's not what the Bible teaches In verses like this and so many others, we learn that sin is an offense to a holy God. And so, no matter how much good we think we might do, the record of our sins is too great. Now, growing up and in my early teenage years, I fully understood verse 3. I knew that sin was bad, and I knew that I had a lot of it, and that if God would judge me according to my sin, the only just judgment would be eternal hell. That was what I understood, and it was true and right, but I didn't have the full picture. You see, knowing that left me in the depths of despair because I knew I couldn't stand before God. I didn't know verse 4. And verse 4 says, But with you... But is one of the greatest words in the Bible. But with you there is forgiveness, so that you may be revered. With God there is forgiveness. That's the hope. So the psalmist here is confessing his sins and admitting that there is a forgiveness found with God. And he he says, with God there is forgiveness. Because our sin is first and foremost against a holy God. In Psalm 51, David writes this psalm after he's had an affair with Bathsheba, and then she gets pregnant, and to cover up the affair, he kills her husband. After that, he comes to God and says to him, against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. Now, clearly, he sinned against other people. But God was the one who took the brunt of the blow. It was God's glory that was defamed in the sin. And it was God that needed to forgive David. So, with God is forgiveness of sins so that you may be revered. So, how does reverence flow out of forgiveness? Well, first of all, I think we need to define what is reverence. And I think in this case, the ESV translates this verse a little bit better. ESV says, But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. Now that word fear conjures up many things in our minds. But our brother Eli expounded last week on the fear of the Lord. And that fear of the Lord is obeying God. It is doing what is right in God's eyes. So if iniquity is doing what is wrong, fear of the Lord is doing what is right. So why would we fear if God forgives us? Well, when we are forgiven, our response should not be to turn and sin again, but rather we should submit our lives to God and to obey Him with a fresh heart. John Piper, and I'm going to paraphrase him, talks about the fear of God. And he says that it is to fear ever turning away from God. You see, because we know that God is so good and that sin is so bad. And so we would fear ever leaving God to go to sin. And that fear should cause us to tremble because we know we have confidence in the presence of God. And only forgiveness with God would let us draw near to him. If we didn't have forgiveness of God, we would pull away. But forgiveness allows us to draw near to God and fear the evil that is out there. Because we know that with God is life. So here the psalmist confesses his sins, acknowledging that it is God who will forgive him. Let's look at verses 5 and 6 to see what he does next. Verse 5, I wait for Yahweh. I wait and I put my hope in his word. I wait for the Lord more than watchmen for the morning, more than watchmen for the morning. Now the repeated words in this psalm show that there's an emphasis. And the main point in this stanza right here is that the psalmist will wait. Wait. It's clear, wait is repeated three times. That is the point of the psalm, is that there is a waiting to be done. But what is he waiting for? He's waiting for redemption. Now, we're going to see that in verses 7 and 8. But to get there, we have to understand what is redemption. Now, redemption is being bought back with a price. It is being saved from our sin we use this word a lot but sometimes it, it almost loses its meaning because we use the word redeem so much so so what does it mean in the bible we're given an example from leviticus 25 of what it looks like to redeem land and it's the same thing with our souls so in leviticus 25 it says that if a man owns land but becomes poor he can sell that land to get money to eat to survive but that land still should belong to his family. So a relative has the option to go and buy the land, to redeem the land and bring it back into the family. That same man who was poor, if he gets money again, also has the option to redeem the land. And that means he can go and buy the land back and make it his again. So to redeem is to buy something back for a price. And in a spiritual sense, We have all sold our souls to do evil. And God is the one who's going to come and he's going to buy back our souls for himself. And so that is what the psalmist is waiting for. He's waiting for God's redemption. He knows he needs this redemption and he waits for it with confidence. Now we know he waits with confidence because he uses this image of the watchman waiting for the morning. Now, a watchman would have stood on the city walls to protect the city from invaders. Whether a handful of spies or entire armies, the watchman was looking for them so he could alert the city if something happened. And the night shift would have by far been the most dangerous and difficult. If you've ever left Beirut and gone up into the mountains, when the power cuts out at night, if you look outside, it's black, And you can see how easy it would be for someone to sneak up on you in the darkness. And so, mourning for a watchman brought relief from the tension of the night. They would have waited all night watching vigilantly. And when the light rises, there is relief, knowing that they made it through another night. But more than that, mourning always comes. Every night is followed by morning. And so the watchman could be confident that if he waited long enough, morning would get there. We know what it looks like to see the sunrise, and everything changes once the sun hits the land. And God's redemption, the psalmist is saying, is more faithful than the sunrise. He says, more than the watchman, I will wait for God. So God is more faithful than the sun which rises every single day. Now, this isn't just a random thought or feeling that the psalmist has that God will redeem him. His hope, as we see, is in God's word. Now, this hope is that God will bring a redeemer, and this promise starts from the very beginning in Genesis 3, after Adam and Eve have sinned, God promises that he will send a redeemer. He speaks to the snake, the serpent, who caused them to sin. And he says to him, the seed of the serpent and the seed of the woman will fight. And while the seed of the serpent will bite the heel of the seed of the woman, the seed of the woman will crush his head. And ever since that point, the people of God have been looking for and have been waiting for the snake crusher the sin destroyer, the one who would redeem people to God. And that promise carries through the whole scriptures, and here the psalmist is claiming that promise, knowing that God will send them a redeemer. Now many psalms end at this point, and this is a great place to end. It is a confident waiting in God to redeem his people. But this psalmist has one more stanza for us. And it's a stanza that teaches. So he turns from looking inward of his sin, his confession, his waiting and hoping, and he looks outward to the people and he speaks to them and teaches them what they should learn from his example. In verse 7, it says, Israel, put your hope in Yahweh, for there is faithful love with Yahweh, and with him is redemption and abundance and he will redeem Israel from all its iniquities. The lesson here for the people of God to learn from this psalm is to put your hope in Yahweh. Don't hope in other nations or other gods. Don't hope in your wisdom or your strength to save you. Hope in God. But why? Why can we? hope in God. How should we hope in God? Why do I know he's more trustworthy than me? Why do I know he's more trustworthy than other gods? Well, it's all based in God's character. You see, the psalmist tells us that with God, there is faithful love. Now, faithful love is a hard word for us to translate. The the Hebrew word is chesed. And there's not a one-word equivalent in English. So different Bible translators try to find the best way to to translate it. So the CSB says faithful love. Some say steadfast love. Some say loving kindness, loving faithfulness. It's all this idea that God's love will not end. Now, there's a children's Bible called the Jesus Storybook Bible. And Sally Lloyd-Jones, the author of that Bible, translates this word of God's love as the never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. Let me say that again. It's a never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. That's the love of God. It will not end. Praise God. And that is is true From the beginning of time, before creation, God was eternal in love as Father, Son, and Spirit. And that love overflowed into creation, and it overflows into redemption. And that's why the psalmist can then say, with you is faithful love, and with him is redemption in abundance. God's redemption overflows like a spring of water that can't contain any more water, and it overflows, giving life through its water to whoever would drink. God's redemption is abundant. Why would you go anywhere else? You see, the psalmist knows this is true about God because it is how God reveals himself to his people. In Exodus 34 God reveals himself to Moses and this becomes the basis for how the people of God understand who God is. Exodus 34 verse 6 and 7 says, "Yahweh, Yahweh is a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, and abounding in faithful love and truth, maintaining faithful love to a thousand generations, forgiving iniquity" rebellion, and sin. But he will not leave the guilty unpunished, bringing the consequences of the father's iniquity on the children and grandchildren to the third and fourth generation. Now don't get too stuck on that last part about God not allowing uh, sin to go unpunished because it's true. God does not let sin go unpunished. He must purchase the forgiveness for us. But note that in that last verse, it says to the third and fourth generation, and compare it to his faithful love which does not stop at the third or fourth or the fifth or the sixth. His faithful love goes to a thousand generations. You see, he is full of faithful love and he forgives iniquity, rebellion, and sin. This is part of God's character. And so the psalmist here hopes in God and he teaches the people of God to hope in him because there is forgiveness and faithful love. Now here's the final promise that we get in Psalm 130. And it comes in verse 8. And he will redeem Israel from all its iniquities. He will redeem. It is a promise of God's redemption yet to come. Now, I know that some of you maybe have been waiting on the edge of your seats to get to Jesus. Why isn't he talking about Jesus? And that's because I wanted us to sit in the tension of the psalm a little bit. When the psalmist wrote this, Jesus hadn't died on a cross yet. His blood was not spilt yet for our sins. For forgiveness, they had to go to the sacrificial system, where they would offer up bulls and lambs and goats. Knowing that the blood was a shadow of what was to come, but knowing that's all they could do. And now we know from Hebrews that it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. It was always by faith that by offering the sacrifice on the altar, God would see it and would forgive us, knowing that it was faith that was saving them. Now, as we talked about, God promised to send a snake crusher. And here... He promises that that snake crusher will redeem Israel. And we know, brothers and sisters, that that person is Jesus. When Jesus was just a baby, he was presented in the temple as all Jewish boys are, and both Simeon and Anna are told, were told that they are people who are waiting for the redemption of Israel. Perhaps Luke had this very psalm in mind when he wrote that, that these are people who know God will redeem the nation and they are waiting for it. And when both Simeon and Anna see the baby Jesus, they rush to him and proclaim to whoever would listen that this child is the one who will redeem Israel from all its iniquities. You see, and then later in his life, Jesus was nailed to a cross and was killed for our sin. You see, sin demands the penalty of blood. And Jesus spilled his blood as the payment to redeem our souls from evil. He bought us back for God and we learn in the new testament that the record of our sins that the psalmist here talks about is nailed to the cross with jesus and our sins are counted no more and that jesus did not stay dead he rose from the dead so that all who would believe in him would have eternal life now the promise here in this psalm is for israel it says he will redeem israel from all its iniquities But in Ephesians, Paul talks about a mystery that was revealed in Christ. And he says that that mystery is that the redemption is not just for the people of Israel, but it is for all nations, all people. Anyone who would trust in Christ has redemption in him. Now, if you have never known the redemption that is found in Christ, what is stopping you? What are you waiting for? Romans 10, verses 10 to 13 says, For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. So it's saying that by faith you are saved. It is the heart that believes, it is the mouth that confesses. It's not the works that you do. It is by the heart that you believe and confess. For the scripture says, Everyone who believes in him, that is Jesus, will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. That's what I just said. All people, Jews and non-Jews, have access to the love of God. Why? Because it is the same Lord who is Lord of all, bestowing riches on all who call to him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Do you see that, brothers and sisters? This psalm starts with a psalmist in the depth of his sin calling out to God. And in the New Testament, we see that everyone who calls out to God in the name of Jesus will be saved. So put your hope in Christ, and he will redeem you from your sins. And the amazing thing is there's no more waiting needed. He has come. Redemption is available today. Are you a follower of Christ in this room? Do you claim the name Christian? Are you still crying out? Are you still repenting of your sin? We know that none of us are perfect. Everyone has sin. And we must continue to repent of that sin and develop a posture of humility and repentance before our holy God. You see, just like you were saved by faith, so will we be kept by faith in Jesus. Now this plays out in various spheres of our life. I'm going to ask a few questions just to get you thinking. And in our time of reflection today, let the Holy Spirit guide you as you think about these questions to check your heart for sin and repent. In your family, are you sinning against your family in some way? Spouses, Are you constantly fighting? Parents, are you agitating your children? Children, are you disobeying your parents? Dishonoring them? Put your hope in Christ. Call out for redemption and he will save you from your sins. In your workplace, are you honoring your boss, your coworkers, even your customers? even the annoying ones? Are you stealing time from your company? Are you stealing materials? Are you gossiping or working for your own gain rather than the Lord's? Put your hope in Jesus. Call out to him for repentance and he will redeem you from your sins. Are you caught in a lifestyle Or are you making a practice of sinning? You know that it's wrong, but you either can't or you don't want to stop. Put your hope in Jesus. Call out for redemption, and he will redeem you from your sins. Brothers and sisters, put your hope in Christ who redeems us whether you have never called out to God before or whether you call out to God all the time, today is a reminder that he has faithful in love and he has redemption in abundance. So let us rejoice. Let us rejoice in God's perfect provision in Christ. We could not save ourselves from sinking in the deep waters, but God can and he does. He sent Jesus down to pull us up from the waters and to save us from drowning. So call out to him today. Put your hope in Christ who will redeem you from your sins. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, we thank you for the shed blood of Jesus, the blood which speaks loudly calling out, Lord, for our forgiveness and our redemption. Lord, I pray that we would humble ourselves and that we would seek your redemption in our lives. Give us grace today, Lord, to see our sin and to repent of it. Father in heaven, we trust you. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.